Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cult I Left Behind podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Briggs, and I'm here to tell you my stories of growing up in the IBLP cult, which you might know from the Duggar family. And I'm your other host, Kyle Briggs. I'm Amanda's husband, and I have not heard most of these stories before. So stay tuned, and we'll all get traumatized together. Welcome back, everybody. Um, <laughs> we are back for the next episode. Uh, we unfortunately had COVID last week, so if we sound a little off or weird uh, or you hear <laughs> sneezing and coughing and all that stuff, we are still getting over that, but the show must go on. So with that out of the way, what do you have for us tonight, Amanda? Tonight, we are going to start our discussion of Bill Gothard's sexual harassment and abuse cycles that he perpetrated for over 30 decades. Three decades. Sorry, three decades over 30 years. Um, and y'all, this this was a brutal episode for me to research. I have eight pages of notes here. And part of it's hard because I met some of these young women. I knew them. And part of it's hard because I'm learning in researching for this podcast that the issues I became aware of later that I thought were recent developments in Bill's behavior were actually present for decades before I was born. So I think for me, it's been extra heartbreaking Mm -hmm. to realize that this went on for so long and that the entire foundation of the ideology with which I was raised was just completely illegitimate. The man has no credibility. And... He caused so much harm to so many people in so many ways, but specifically tonight we're going to talk about his sexual harassment and abuse, and I want to give you a topic disclaimer that we will be talking about sexual assault of minors. In this episode, I I speak about sexual assault and harassment all the time for my job, apart from this podcast, so... My guarantee to you is that I will handle it carefully and respectfully, but just know that if that is a difficult subject for you, we're going to go there quite a bit in this episode. Well, it sounds like this is going to be a little heavier than previous episodes. Um, And I know in the first two episodes, I kind of was a little in awe of of the things that were happening and found it kind of funny uh, as somebody that was from outside of the cult Mm -hmm. and I can laugh and be like, that's crazy. And I nervous laugh. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So or uncomfortable laugh when I'm like, this is so wrong. I (laughs) laugh because I can't believe that it's happening. So I I definitely fall into that camp too, but it's, you know, um, tonight is, it's not going to be one of those nights. Um, and as we get farther into the podcast, there'll be more of this where there's, 
you know, some lighthearted and, and funny and just kind of unbelievable stories. Like Cabbage Patch dolls <laughs> right. being demonic. Yeah. yeah. I promise you there are some funny, funny stories as somebody from the outside that you're just like, really? <laughs> um, and and then, you know, just being married to Amanda, I can tell you there are some other stories that are heartbreaking and hard to, you know, process and believe that, you know, there's people that are subjected to this kind of harassment and abuse um, and that it's so rampant within one community um, within the cult. Mm. So uh, that's your warning. That's, yeah. This is going to be a little different than the first two episodes. Yeah. And um, with that being said, I will I'll let you get started. Amanda. And I think real quick before we jump into all of this, we should let the people know we're going to get to my stories, my lived experiences soon, probably if not the next episode, the one after that, maybe next episode, we might need to do some extra work on the topics of Bill and Steve before we move on. And the decision to start with with Bill and his brothers and just the top leadership in the cult is that it really sets the stage for everything I grew up with. So as you as you learn about my childhood, my experiences during those formative years of my life, you'll have the bird's eye view of this is all bullshit and the leaders couldn't even do it. The leaders didn't even believe in it. Mm -hmm. So that's why we started with kind of the history and background on cult leadership because it, it completely destabilizes everything they taught. Their behavior destabilizes everything that they purported to be true and from God. Yeah. So I want us to make sure that as we talk about Bill's victims, that it isn't based on sensationalism. I want to treat this with reverence. I'm a victim of sexual assault myself, and to honor the women Bill harmed, I want to make sure that we do this carefully. And I have a lot more information about this than I did about Steve. The The stories about Steve were, I mean, they left me incredulous, and some of them were just so weird that mm-hmm. they're they're not funny, but you they're like laughably awful. Bill, we have a lot more documented evidence about his behavior. As you'd expect from the leader of a cult. Yeah, and because <clears throat> of the 34 women who came forward. 34. 34 women came forward in 2014 with allegations of sexual harassment and assault. And some of those women proceeded with a lawsuit that was sadly dismissed in 2018 just because statute of limitations had run out. So it was more of a symbolic lawsuit. They mm-hmm. knew about the statute of limitations. They knew they might not be able to see the case all the way through, but they wanted Bill to be held accountable yeah. and they wanted justice. So there's a lot more documentation. And that organization I referenced in previous episodes, Recovering Grace, on their website under the Gothard files, 
they have testimonies from a handful of women and they really recovering grace really did their research because before they published these stories under their name recovering grace they they needed to verify so they talked to witnesses they did a lot of research the one 15-year-old victim, they spent eight months researching those allegations to make sure that they were credible before moving forward with publishing the story. So Recovering Grace is a great resource if you want to go learn more about Bill's actions and you want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. It, It comes directly from his victims. Some identify themselves with their real names and some use pseudonyms. But it's it's some pretty difficult and powerful stuff. So what you're going to hear today is me kind of summarizing everything I've been able to learn about what Bill did into one episode so that if you don't want to spend a dozen hours reading everything like I have in the last week or so, you you'll still understand what happened. And the reason it's so important for me to talk about this and about who Bill really is, is it wrecks his credibility for the rest of his teaching. So if you grew up in the cult and you're listening to this and you're like, there's no way Mr. Gothard could have done these things. I hope this changes your mind. I hope that hearing these testimonies and hearing my summary of everything I've learned reading victim accounts helps you realize that your life was built on a lie. And I'm so sorry. Mine was too. But it was a lie. And it was all teachings of a really evil, twisted, conniving individual. So this is still traumatic for me. Um, I knew, like I said, I knew some of these people, especially the later victims, not well. I wasn't close friends with any of them, but I knew them in passing. I knew their their faces. I spent a good deal of time volunteering at the main compound. Mm-hmm. We called it headquarters in the Chicago area. And so I would interface with these young women from time to time. And I, I remember this one evening, I'm pretty sure it's one of the victims whose testimony we're going to talk about tonight. But I just remember giggling with her and running around because we were children. I was probably 11, 12, 13. She was 15, 16. And I thought she was pretty and I thought she was funny. And we just laughed. And I didn't know. I didn't know what she was going through. And it's hard, it's hard to read this stuff. It's, it's, these are real people and these were their real experiences. In the cult, there was this phenomenon known as a Gothard girl. And what that was, was a young woman who fit the physical parameters that everyone knew Bill liked. Why did they know He liked it because he always had a flock of them around him, because he built a flock of them around him. They were young, and they had youthful appearance. That was the first criteria. And when I say young, I mean 15, 16, 17-year-old minors, Mm -hmm. some 18-year-olds. There were some 20-year-olds. 
They were impressionable and innocent. They had, for the most part, these young women were raised in the cult. They were already inundated with IBLP and ETI teaching. Their parents venerated Bill. So, of course, they did too. And in cult families, Bill was like this beloved character. And we all looked up to him and, you know, if we saw him or his blue car, it was like, oh, Mr. Gothard sighting. And so, so these young women that he preyed upon had starry eyes about him because everyone in the cult had starry eyes about him. That's, that's what we were all trained to do. That was all part of the culture. Again, back to physical appearance, long flowing hair. Gently curling, usually blonde, not always, but usually blonde. There's this horrible picture of Bill in a wicker chair with a really tall back, and he's surrounded by a group of young women who meet all of these physical descriptors. And he's just sitting there with the biggest smile on his face. And those those are the Gothard girls. So was that pretty well known like did everybody is when you're around that and you see this guy walking around and he always has the same you know entourage of you know teenage girls around him mm-hmm. was that kind of commonly known that like you know that's that's his what he likes that's you know clearly he has a Like a type? A type, yeah. Or, you know, he's got a specific type of individual that he mm-hmm. surrounds himself with. Was mm-hmm. that kind of commonly known? Not to the cult at large, to staffers at the compounds, yes. To the point that I knew of the phrase Gothard girl as a child. Because my two older siblings lived at the compound and worked there. Mm -hmm. And I had my oldest sister, her name is Andrea. She's 10 years older than I am. And she worked a variety of jobs, but there was a time when she was in the administrative building where Bill's office was located. And she changed. She became, I believe, anorexic. She started styling her hair a certain way and dressing a certain way to fit in with the other young ladies in the administrative building. Cause if they were in the administrative building, you know, Bill had them there to be close to him. Mm-hmm. So I know when you were talking about Steve in the last episode, you mentioned how he was specifically telling these girls like how to dress and what to mm-hmm. wear. And like, was Bill doing the same thing? Yeah, like you we're need to wear get into that. Okay. He, Yeah. So I watched my sister change and then she would get mad at the young girls that Bill would bring in because all of the young women staffers who'd been there for a while and were like, Hey, we've, we've put in time and effort here and we should be promoted into these highly coveted secretarial positions for Bill. But they weren't because he would he would find victims and bring them in and make them his personal secretary. So Andrea and other young women who would hang out with our family who also worked at headquarters, 
they would get real upset because so-and-so new Gothard girl had showed up at headquarters at Bill's invitation and gotten the highly coveted job, even though they had no background. They were 15, 16 years old, didn't know anything about being a professional. They were children. So I knew about it through that. I think anyone who worked on one of the compounds knew about it. But Joe Schmo, cult person living somewhere else, you know, across the country, likely did not know the term Gothard girls. Yeah, I, I guess it's, I guess we have to remember that. When did this start for him? Just like the when did the time frame start? Roughly right when he started campus teams, but the documentation from witnesses starts nineteen seventy. Okay, so I mean. My my point, I guess, there was just like you know, back in the seventies. This is pre-internet, mm-hmm. um, pre-social media, mm-hmm. and so I can see how it would be only obvious to those that are present for that. Mm-hmm. Only the people that were on at headquarters mm-hmm. every day that saw this happening, and the rest of you, or the rest of the people in the cult, probably. You know, they never knew about that because they only probably ever saw him at conferences or something. Right. And it was so few and, he, and far between. You didn't, you didn't see the pattern. Well, and the testimonies state that he behaved very differently. Oh, in public. In public. <laughs> of course. Very differently. Yeah. To the point that he would ignore sometimes. Okay. So the, you know, these young women he was harassing and assaulting when he wasn't in front of large audiences or meeting with dignitaries. So he was just ignoring them when other people were around. And then when he was at home, and I'm mm-hmm. air quoting, like when he was at the headquarters, he kind of wasn't ashamed so much. And it was his primary locations for assault were his office, assault and harassment were his office, the copy room next to his office that staff couldn't see. It was right next to his bathroom, his private bathroom. So when he would walk into the copy room, people thought he was just going to the restroom. Now, the copy room had an, another entrance that the victims would enter through to do work. Like at the copy machine, he would see them in there, go in there, and it sexually harass and assault them. So the copy room, his office, his car, institute vans for driving long distances, mm-hmm. Hotels were a big one when they were traveling. And he would also behave this way, you know, at other institute facilities. So those were his primary locations of committing acts of harassment and assault. And so going back to Gothard Girls and and the profile... If you weren't a Gothard girl as a as a young staffer at headquarters, and y'all, anytime I say headquarters, just know I mean the compound in Chicago, in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. So any any young female staffer at headquarters figured out real quick that there was a certain desired physical profile. And, that, and they that had to have been 
very difficult to go through because even as a girl in the cult, you you didn't have any rights, like you had no future really. And then you go work on the compound or at the headquarters and you're not his type. So then you've got that working against you. Like mm-hmm. you're really not going to go anywhere at that point. No. Well, all right. So I have as far examples as of that. There was, there was this one young woman. She was smart. She was hardworking, but she had a skin condition where she had like skin tags and nodules literally all over her body. Mm-hmm. Her family, her whole family lived there at headquarters on the compound and worked there, but she was hidden away in like the deepest recesses of the warehouse. That was her job because she was unsightly. Yeah. And the other young women, my sister included, I mean, they developed eating disorders, trying to emulate the preferred physique. My oldest sister started fainting and my mother insisted that Andrea go to the doctor and the doctor diagnosed it as being underfed. She was fainting because she wasn't eating enough. And so that there, was that was his preferred body type then was very just like thin, very thin. Very thin. And but also curvy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And there was a lot of animosity toward these young women. And Bill Bill was strategic. He is such an evil person. He would pit women against each other so that they wouldn't figure out he was doing the same thing to multiple women at a time. Mm. So he would run, much like Steve, who ran seven women at a time, telling them they were the only one, which we talked about. Well, I don't know if I went into that level of detail, but our last episode when we were talking about Steve and his harem, Mm -hmm. they didn't know that there were six other women that Steve was going with at that time too, sexually. So Bill did the same thing. He would tell women, oh, don't talk to so-and-so. She's she's an encouragement case, which in cult speak means you're difficult and you're there for discipline and counseling. An encouragement case. Okay. So he would tell them like, oh, don't talk to her. Don't become friends with her. She's an encouragement case and we can't have your ministry for the Lord impacted by her behavior and all this stuff so that they wouldn't get close Mm -hmm. and figure out that the same thing was happening. No, he was intentionally building walls between them. Yes. And, you know, the same with his non-victims. He didn't want his victims to get close to anyone. Isolation Mm -hmm. was a really big part of his tactic. So he would, you know, tell his victims, oh, you're just so special. You're just a gift from God to the ministry. I've never met someone with a heart like yours. While telling other people, wow, she's a real big problem. Don't talk to her. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm counseling her. She's she's really problematic. So he would spread lies and rumors just to create a lot of isolation around his victims. So, yeah, the, the other women who weren't Gothard girls really didn't like the Gothard girls because they were favored. They got more opportunities. They got to be part of the groups that would go meet dignitaries. They got speaking parts in cult pop propaganda videos and 
They got to go on trips all over the world with Bill as his private assistant, private secretary. They weren't liked is the bottom line. Mm-hmm. They had a they had a pretty rough life socially on top of being victims of harassment and abuse. So were they not liked because of jealousy or were they not liked because he was also going around telling them like how bad of people they were. And so they kind of had the stigma of just being a pain in the ass or something. What I heard from women was jealousy. Okay. They got the jobs everyone wanted. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. And which I imagine it was a very getting a certain job was probably very desirable to the mm-hmm. girls or the women in the cult because they weren't allowed to work. Prestige. And so this was yeah. the only career path essentially yes. was working in the cult or at headquarters. And so I imagine I like learned. getting getting to headquarters is like, you know, a big deal. Yes. And then you get there and then you get, you know, kneecapped because you're not his type or mm-hmm. he's got his little entourage and you have to mm-hmm. fight for it. And you wouldn't. Because he's hand-selected victims at conferences and brought them in, primarily. And something I learned in all this research that I didn't know about, because college was never an option. So by the time my family joined the cult, it had been around for a decade and a half, maybe two. And the first generation of students to go through the homeschooling program, ATI, you know, they grew up, college was still on the table for them. There are stories of cult families who had kids in college. The parents pulled the kids out of college after joining the cult because college is evil. And instead of college, they would send those children to work for Bill mm-hmm. at headquarters. So you didn't have edu- an education beyond high school for the most part. Which wasn't actually high school they were homeschooled on his curriculum his curriculum which was shit as we've discussed and you don't you don't have a career path Mm -hmm. especially as a young woman you you all you can do is serve god by serving bill and that was very intertwined in cult ideology you serve god by serving bill you love god by loving bill you're loyal to god by being loyal to bill And Bill would find these young women primarily at conferences. That's where he would target his victims. He would go around the country, around the world. One of the most heartbreaking stories is a a young woman from New Zealand who was his personal secretary for a year, and he really put her through it. But it wasn't, the point being, it wasn't just limited to the United States. He would figure out who he wanted next. Mm -hmm. And he would tell them that they were special, important, and God had special plans for them, and they could only accomplish it by working with Bill at headquarters. And he would create fake emergencies to pressure young women and their parents into the young woman immediately relocating to headquarters, usually in two or three weeks from the time he saw her, met her, picked her as the next victim, she was usually there within a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm imagining that as the cult is gaining more popularity and his reach is getting further and more countries are 
coming on board Mm -hmm. uh, and he's touring around having these conferences. I imagine that's where he's finding these girls. Like they're coming to his conferences and he's seeing them there. Then he's just like, okay, well I like you. You're pretty. And then he somehow like talks to their parents and, and then gives them this spiel about, I've got this important task that your daughter's perfect for. She needs to come to Chicago and, and, fulfill this by working directly for me as my secretary. Okay. Even though she's 15. Right. Highly competent. Mm hmm. I need a drink. (laughs) What do you got over there tonight? (laughs) I went simple. I'm drinking a truly margarita style and classic lime, but because we're talking about Bill, I have mango chili right here. Got a backup. Okay. I have a feeling we're going to get to that. What are you drinking? Well, I am glad that tonight I made my favorite drink and I've got a sidecar. Nice. So I am going to need it and I'm glad I have it tonight. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, this is definitely turning out to be intense and heavy and. How y'all doing? Yeah. Uh, hey, you you should get it. Maybe that should have been the disclaimer. Will, Everyone, stop now. Right. Get your adult beverage of choice. Maybe we'll just put like a five second break in the podcast, and people can pause and go get a drink and come back. So, and maybe a security blanket and emotional support animal. <laughs> Whatever your crux is. So, mm. all right. Okay. What happened? If you were a Gothard girl. Well, started with that selection process we just talked about, and then it moved on to grooming. You'd get to headquarters. Bill would maybe pick you up at the airport. Otherwise, pretty quickly summon you to his office, where he would tell you how important you are and special and necessary to him. And therefore, God, and you know, you're like 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And, and then he, he'd want to know about any sin in their life, if they'd ever liked a boy or kissed a boy or been physically intimate with a boy. And he would revisit those topics and extract every detail. And these young women, again, you, what I want for you as our listeners to do is really find a lot of compassion in your hearts for the horrible position these women were in and just the brainwashing they'd already experienced before they got into this scenario that Bill is God. Bill is God's gift to humanity. He is here to change the world. Bill is God's mouthpiece. Bill has all of the answers for literally everything in life. So if Bill tells you he's going to help you work through your sin, you're going to confess your sin to Bill. That is how that goes. And so this is, I think it's important to point out that not only, I mean, these are girls, they're teenagers. These are are baby girls. Yeah. So, I mean, they're kids. Um, So obviously they're very impressionable and easy Mm -hmm. to manipulate. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to point out that he was able to manipulate the kids' 
parents into mm-hmm. even letting them and sending them mm-hmm. to headquarters. Like, and this like is back high school, well, like right. air quotes, but high school is, to come do this. This is still back in, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, 90s. really kind of in that pre internet days. And so you're literally sending your kid across the globe, mm-hmm. potentially, mm-hmm. to go stay at some dude's compound. Mm-hmm. And you really don't have a method of communicating with them because at you know back then it would have been phone. you know phone landlines. It's not no cell phones. Like mm-hmm. you would have had to have you know called the compound somehow at the pre-scheduled times. Phones. Like yeah. I mean, we grew up in that era. You, you made it work, and you were always like, you know, I'm going to call you next Monday at seven o'clock. Be by the phone. Like mm-hmm. you can. There was ways to schedule that, but you know you didn't have the constant contact that you have today. Correct. And he would start it with this, you know, confession of of sin. And, and he really wanted them to tell him what they were hiding in their hearts. The sin. Was this like, was it general? Like, was he asking general questions? Like, did you, you know, did you steal something one time? Or was it very like sexually oriented questions of like, it always ended up sexual. Okay. I don't, from the testimonies I read, maybe it started generic, mm-hmm. but if they liked a boy, he would monitor this one young woman. She, she liked a boy back home and he would write her letters and Bill saw her writing a letter one day and demanded to know who it was for. And then he had to read it and then. Anytime the boy sent her letters, he got to read them. He would help her respond in a way that was very distant and emotionally detached. He was jealous because mm-hmm. she liked this boy. Right. One I mean, of them had a bracelet What's from more a threatening boy. than a 14-year-old boy when you're, you know, 40 or whatever? 60. <laughs> 60. One young woman had a bracelet from a boyfriend back home. He made her cut it off mm-hmm. and put it in the trash. He was very controlling. He wanted so he would get them to confess, and if they didn't have something, he'd dig around until one one young woman in her testimony she writes about like I was a good kid. I really like I obeyed my parents. I did everything I was supposed to per cult ideology. And Bill was like, "There's sin. There's sin somewhere." So it ended up being. It ended up getting to the point where even though. It wasn't rock music. There were two songs she liked that were pop music, love songs, and that was her sin. And he made her write down everything that was immoral and wrong about the love songs and confess it all to him. And then this is when he would go to step two, which is physical contact. Mm -hmm. Then he would hold their hands and, and have them kneel kneel by the couch in his office and, and they would be crying over their, you know, the victim would be crying over her sin while he held her hand and led her in prayer to confess it before God. And the crazy thing is, you know, you read account after account after account, and you might as well just read one because then you've read them all. Mm-hmm. He had such established patterns of grooming and manipulation and abuse and harassment. Well, I'm sure once he figured out something that worked for one, I mean... It's easy to repeat Copy that. Paste. Yeah. Um, before you keep going, was the questions so 
just because this is a church oriented thing or mm-hmm. a religious oriented thing, and we, you know, we all know that purity culture is mm-hmm. a big thing, even outside of a cult. Mm-hmm. Was that factor into his his selection of girls? Like, if he found out that they had been with another boy or something, was that like a, a deal breaker for him? And he was just like, no, "You're he you're loved out." It. Oh, because then he could get them to tell him so that's more ammunition for him all of the salacious details of kissing boys and none of them in their testimonies i think had gone further with a boy than kissing Mm -hmm. but he would have them describe it to him over and over over the course of you know a long period of time he would continue revisiting it because he liked it okay well Mm -hmm. interesting yeah all right keep going so he would counsel them about their sin. And once you know, it's very important for counseling sessions to happen late at night and go until 1130 PM midnight. He would have these young women with him alone in his office, counseling them, holding their hands, praying with them, long hugs all these things, and eventually it would proceed to, usually his next move was footsie. He he liked playing footsie with his victims, and it always startled them initially, and they thought it was an accident. Mm-hmm. They'd look up, he was grinning over at them. Oh, jeez. And he would, you know, eventually it would proceed to, he'd take his shoes off and run his socked foot up and down their calves okay. and just in really aggressive ways. Sometimes at lunch, which was a mandatory event for all the staffers, they mm-hmm. all had lunch together in the dining room and he could get away with it. Cause they had long tablecloths. He'd invite them up to the head table. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the ways they were favored his Gothard girls, and he would play footsie with them at lunch. He would play footsie with them in the office while they were taking notes or doing whatever their secretarial duties were. He would play footsie with them after hours in their counseling sessions and, you know, keeping them there late to, quote, work. He would play footsie with them in the van, driving... Sometimes instead of flying, they would drive long distances in mm-hmm. Institute, you know, the big eight to 15 passenger vans. I can't imagine being, you know, like a 13 year old girl and some old dude who's got his shoe off and is running his foot mm-hmm. up and down your leg. Mm-hmm. Well, you the know, youngest documented is 15, but also, well, yes. I mean, still, I mean, there's the, the age gap yes. alone. And then he was 61. Yeah. For, yeah. I mean, the age gap, just an older victim. person in authority mm-hmm. that's being super creepy and you're in, you're, you're at his house essentially. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're working for him. You, you live there. Mm-hmm. You're eating with him and he's, doing something creepy like that. I can't imagine how horrifying that is. And keep in mind that these young women were very sexually naive. They were raised Mm -hmm. in sexually repressed 
environments where it wasn't talked about, where if human sexuality was discussed, it was evil, bad, dirty. So like the potential exists, or maybe it's even very possible or likely that they weren't even sure what he, his motive was. Like exactly. they didn't even know what sex was to know mm-hmm. that like he's playing footsie. Like what's footsie mean? That like, some of the testimonies talk specifically about mm-hmm. that and knowing, you know, they would say, I felt like it was wrong and it felt dirty and bad, but I didn't know why mm-hmm. he, he was found multiple times with secretaries in his lap in the office And let me look at my eight pages of notes here. The hugs, the touching, the the copy room. One one victim, her testimony really goes into that in terms of he would come in there and while she was working, he'd have his hands on her back and her shoulders. And Mm -hmm. anytime she walked into that copy room and saw Bill wasn't in the office, at that moment, just the relief that would wash over her and she'd rush through her work so she could get out of that copy room before he could return to his office and see her in there and come harass her. So that brings up another good point. Like imagine once these girls got there and they started witnessing all of these uncomfortable things happening, even if they didn't know what it was per se, like they still had that kind of natural intuition like this is weird this is not normal even to mm-hmm. them most and, of them did and then they had no way out mm-hmm. like because their parents sent them there so mm-hmm. that's interesting that you bring it up i, I was going to get to this but some of the victims you know they told their parents what was going on and how uncomfortable it made them and some were met with how could you say such things about Mr. Gothard? He would never do something like that. He's these are lies. And if if you if if you get sent home because you aren't pleasing him, then you're going to get kicked out of the house. Mm-hmm. Others, other young women, told their parents, and their parents were like, "Well, you know, Mr. Gothard's a single man. Maybe he's thinking about courting you." To their teenagers, about a 40, 50, 60-year-old man. Mm -hmm. Some of the women really thought he wanted to marry them. And in fact, one one of them he did. The board wouldn't let him. She was 20. He was 40 years older than her or something like that at the time. So I'm curious, like, in these situations, how the husbands or the fathers were handling this? Because I can understand the women or the wives because they're they're already brainwashed and indoctrinated into this belief system that you kind of just you're at the mercy of of the man but were the husbands or the the fathers not like well that's creepy or no like they were not they, like that so creepy. they were they were totally in on mr gothard was god's gift to humanity so I would imagine if that's their mentality, then they would also be the type of person to can to do the same thing. Yeah. One of, one of the testimonies I read, the, the young woman, her father is a pastor and he started sexually assaulting her 
when she was a child, he raped her and took her virginity as, as a young child. And they would mysteriously be asked to leave churches every couple of years. And she figured out in adulthood that that was because his abuse would come to light. Mm -hmm. And instead of reporting it to law enforcement or something, the church would just dismiss Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. There were, there were some fathers who are described in the testimonies as being abusive. So some of these young women were already conditioned Mm -hmm. from early childhood to sexual assault and harassment from their parents. Yeah. I think it's just crazy that they, it wasn't just Bill. He was creating mm-hmm. a whole other attack vector, essentially, of all of the men were unsafe. Like, I'm going to train them. They're all going to look up to me, and they're all going to do the same thing I'm doing, which is abusing women mm-hmm. and taking advantage of them and girls. And, like, they're all fair game, and they're all going to buy – all these guys are going to buy into it and just perpetuate that. That so, sexual assault was rampant in that sounds like environment. It. I have a heartbreaking number of people I knew as a kid in the cult who have come to me in adulthood to tell me that they were also sexually assaulted by a family member, by a prominent person in the cult. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just the heartbreaking reality of that environment. It was very unsafe. Mm -hmm. Bill required these young women to be available to him at all hours. Early, early in the morning, some of them he'd pick up at 5 a.m. so that they could get work done for a few hours in the morning before the workday started. They'd have to be available late into the night. Midnight was common. He would have them, like I said, sit with him at staff meeting, at lunches, car rides alone all the time, which for anyone else in the cult would have been a no-no to an extreme extent. But he would pick these young women up and drive them around in his blue car. I imagine that was easy for him to do after he created so much isolation for them. Mm -hmm. And so then then being available at all hours was easy like an easy ask Mm -hmm. i guess if you want to say it that way Mm -hmm. just because they they probably didn't have any friends they weren't Mm -hmm. going out and socializing because they had been i mean isolated yeah he would want his current victim to meet him at the airport if she didn't travel with him she had to be waiting for him at the airport Which leads into the only documented instance of true. So all everything we've talked about so far by legal definitions falls under sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. It is still evil, bad, wrong. And from there we move into assault of a minor. So this is a moment where, you know, take a drink, take a breath. Here we go. Speaking of wanting his victims to meet him at the airport. One of his 16-year-olds who was there as a, quote, encouragement case. Mm-hmm. He he had her meet him at the airport after one of his trips. And on the drive back to headquarters, he felt her up. Um, 
he had already been groping her breasts over her clothes for a while before that. And he would tell her what to wear. He would tell her to, she was only allowed to wear push-up bras, which sounds very Steve from our last episode. And after returning from one of his trips and insisting she was at the airport to greet him and ride back to headquarters with him alone in a car. So was it, he, before you go, was there, did he have a driver? Or was he, sometimes. And sometimes he drove his blue car. It was an old okay. school Old vehicle. mobile or something. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious if there was any, if there was ever a sometimes, third party there. Well, let me finish this and we'll get back to that. Okay. So on that ride back to headquarters, he put his hand up her skirt and groped her genitals through her remaining clothing. I feel very confident that that is a credible allegation. Recovering Grace spent eight months. This is the case they spent eight months researching and finding witnesses. Not necessarily, they, there wasn't one for the event, but everything else that this young woman said was corroborated by other people. So they felt like there was a very high level recovering grace felt that there was a very high level of credibility to the entirety of the story. And statistically very, very few people falsely report sexual assault. Mm -hmm. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. I know you've done research on that too. Like just for Mm -hmm. your, your job, like, you Mm -hmm. know, that I, and I, I forget. I feel like it was like 90-something percent of it's, those yeah. are true. Yes. And the process of coming forward with allegations with that level of granularity, I summarized and tried to soften it. It takes an enormous amount of courage to do it. So if someone comes forward against a public figure and alleges sexual assault of a minor – Statistically, it is very safe to take that seriously. So I I 100% believe this young woman's allegation. And to your point about were there ever witnesses, he, he got bold. Bill got bold and he would... In, in vans in particular, like the dude had the same freaking MO. He would get real close to his victims when he was sitting with them and especially in vans with other people, Mm -hmm. these large vans, he would press his body up against there so that no matter what his leg was all up against their leg. And then he would do the footsie thing. And then he would run his leg, his foot up their calf and play with their feet. And I mean, that's very bold because, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I grew up in, church and we took those vans everywhere Mm -hmm. to camps and conferences and you know to dinner after sunday school or what you know or you know wednesday night service or whatever (laughs) yeah it sounds like you need it um but i mean those things you're you're crammed in there and i mean there's space like he he obviously didn't have to sit on top of somebody unless it was just like overcrowded but i mean the fact that you're in a van with 15 other people doing something like grab their hands yeah like you can't really hide that Mm. like because it's a minimum like three people per row Mm -hmm. and that's only two people so there was Usually a third. and Or one, people sitting right behind them or in front of them that can see that. One testimony 
you know, we've talked about the the flowing hair. Mm-hmm. He was obsessed with this young woman's hair. And it escalated to the point where he grabbed all of it at the nape of her neck in a van. He was sitting behind her, grabbed all of it and leaned forward and like whispered roughly in her hair, in her ear. I love your hair. And she was so startled because there were people all around them and they all just acted like it hadn't happened. And were they like just literally burying their head in the sand? Or did they just not think that was abnormal? I well, maybe it got normalized to all of them, but they were uncomfortable. People were uncomfortable. There's this one story, one of the testimonies talks about Bill and the young woman going to one of the other conference centers and being shown their rooms for the night. And, or one of the other institute facilities. And and the director dude of that facility walked them to their rooms and they, they went to the young lady's room first and he was being very respectful, like staying outside in the hallway and Bill walked all the way in and was just hanging out with her and talking and the director was very uncomfortable and shuffling his feet and trying to get Bill to leave and eventually the director guy just left because Bill wasn't leaving and it was all very awkward. Yeah. People saw it. Yeah. They did not act. The board... As we discussed in the last episode, the board got concerned and wanted to hold Bill accountable because Gothard girls, people saw, people there at headquarters, they saw, Mm -hmm. they saw a pattern and they got concerned. And that was the whole coup we talked about last time where Bill got rid of that whole board, took back his power and filled the board with people who were 100% loyal to him. That were just like him. Before that, there was... There were a few attempts to try to hold him accountable about his behavior and how we'll have to talk about this in a different episode because it's it's very complex. But Bill had a lot of teachings around defrauding, how a woman could defraud a man, how a man could defraud a woman. And he was engaging in all of the behaviors that he described to everyone else as defrauding a woman acting like you were going to marry her and all this stuff when you had no intention of moving forward with that, Mm -hmm. with an engagement, with a marriage. To the point where one of the young women was approached by the wife of one of the board members to ask, like, are you okay? What's going on with Bill? That was all part of the board that got dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Can't Can't ask questions like that. Yeah. And the Northwoods, where where Steve was, like we talked about in the in the last episode, it was remote. It, it's on three thousand acres to begin with, but then it's also Jesus. off in the middle of you know the woods in northern Michigan. Mm-hmm. Very remote, and Steve wasn't the only person who got real weird out there. Even with non-victims, Bill would go do nighttime hugs. With the female staffers when he was out there. He would wait until nighttime when they were all already like ready for bed in their nightgowns. And he'd go around and insist on hugging each of them. Like Like knock on their doors. Like there is kids and he's just like saying goodnight to them. But, but you know, know, they're women. Yeah. 
And he would go make them hug him, like these long hugs in their nightgowns. Yeah, I'm sure he had roamy hands, too. Probably, yes. And they all hated it, but they didn't know how to make it stop. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he's Mr. Gothard. And he had this thing that, again, is a topic for a different a different episode because it, it's complicated. But you could only give a good report. When allegations started coming out about him, about Bill, he developed this whole new secret hidden message from God in the Bible that you should only give a good report. Basically oh, to just- shut down... Is this kind of like Rumors. one of those, like, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all speeches? But specifically to protect his own. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's easy to twist that. Mm-hmm. And he would use, with his victims, he would use a lot of ambiguity. He would, his language would be very ambiguous about his intentions. And he would use leading language like not knowing what God might have in store for them. And so the young women who thought, okay, well, my parents are saying maybe he wants to court me. They got real confused and they didn't, they didn't love him romantically. It's, it's all over their testaments. None of these women loved him romantically, Hmm. but the ones who spent enough time with him slash had messaging from their parents. Oh, maybe Mr. Gothard wants to court you, et cetera. They felt that they needed to marry him. Because he was doing God's work. Yeah, I think it's And very, if he asked, they needed to be on board with God's yeah. plan and God's work. I think it's interesting that you, you point that out, that it would be easy for him. I mean, he was creating this image for himself that he was God and, like, everybody should look up to him. Mm-hmm. It would be easy for those girls to, like, actually be infatuated with him and be attracted mm-hmm. to that image and idea but it's interesting that that's not what they thought they weren't actually some of them had that initially okay some of them had like the starry eyes and like Mm -hmm. the obsession like oh it's it's mr gothard and he's picked me then they saw how creepy he was and then that went away (laughs) yeah yeah that makes sense yeah and the, the one of the most heinous ones was a young woman from New Zealand that he brought to the US to be his secretary and he pseudo dated her for a year like publicly uh, that was the one that the wife of the board member okay came to her because it was it like obvious they were spending not. so much time alone together which he did with Mm-hmm. He did with a bunch of different ones, like stargazing on the rooftop under blankets. Oh, okay. If any of the rest of us had done that. Right. <sighs> yeah, you can't go to the supermarket and with your, your boyfriend, but yeah. let's go hang out and have yeah. some, you know, hang out and watch the stars on the roof with mm-hmm. the old man. And one of the victims, you know, she she got real sick of how he was treating her and tried to distance herself from mm-hmm. him and he as a punishment sent her to Steve oh. in the Northwoods. Like he sent a, her to Steve. Yeah, that's a brutal cycle there where you're mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight back against this dude and he's just like, you know what? I'll just go send you to go another to my brother who's you know kind of got a he's got a bad rap himself and so mm-hmm. Wow, that's and those Bill are two would, horrible options. Yeah, and Bill would tell 
his victims that Steve had special insight from God, including how these women should dress and do their hair. That was insight from God and including the undergarments they should wear. So both Bill and Steve would tell their victims to wear push-up bras and, you know, to not cut their hair. And one young woman had to cut a couple inches off her hair because her ends were splitting Mm -hmm. so badly. And Bill was upset with her for doing that. And there was so much control of every aspect of their lives. It's just, yeah, it's just the, they just go from one bad situation to another bad situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they can't even trust their own family to pull them out of that. Right. Like, there's no responsible adults in this equation. hmm So one of these young women, I think she was the 15 <clears throat> or 16-year-old, there was a young man who came to headquarters, and I read his testimony, and he was trying so hard to do everything right, and not get in trouble and not get sent home. He made the unfortunate mistake of having two conversations with one of Bill's victims and was sent home for defrauding this young woman that Bill was sexually assaulting and harassing. I can't have any competition. Right. Right. And we talked a little bit about what would happen if these young women raised concern. They would... You know, their parents would get mad. How could you say such a thing about Mr. Gothard? Or they would be told, well, maybe he wants to court you. So they had no help. Mm-hmm. They had no help. They were just stuck. And my my intro to Bill's sexual assault happened when I was in my teens. And I I had a friend of a friend who was raised in the cult. So, oh gosh, how do I, I I don't want to say this so I can protect her identity. There was a young woman who also grew up in the cult that I knew sort of, kind of. Mm. I knew her in passing. She was an acquaintance. We were not close, but she was friends with one of my non-cult friends that I had at that point in my life. I was probably... 16, 16 or 17 years old. And one time me, my friend and this other young woman were all at the same event together. And when we left, my friend said, you, you were like part of the Bill Gothard thing, right? So this was the girl that wasn't in the cult said this. mm -hmm, The girl who wasn't in the cult was like, you, you're part of like the Bill Gothard thing, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you know, he raped that young woman. Wow. Like, was that public at that time? No. Or? Okay. And she told me the whole story. And I believed it because I'm a survivor of sexual assault. And there's, unless the person has done a remarkable amount of healing, I can spot other survivors. There's just something in their eyes and I can tell. And I've never been wrong yet. And I saw that in her and I saw how flighty she was. And constantly looking over her shoulder and 
I believed it. I believed it. And it didn't, it didn't shock me because I had been at that compound at night and late at night enough to have seen Mr. Gothard's light on and seen a, a you know, a young woman mm-hmm. in there and heard the whispers and the rumors of, oh, there's someone, there's a woman, a young female staffer alone in there with Mr. Gothard and it's 11 at night and what do we do? And like I said, I'd hung out with some of those girls like we were all children mm-hmm. giggling together over dumb little girl stuff. And I I helped out at headquarters quite a bit as a volunteer growing up. So I didn't have any reason not to believe this. I had every reason to believe it. And I went home and I told my parents that I had met someone who said, you know, Mr. Gothard had raped her and I was very concerned and, they flew off the handle. How could you say such a thing about Mr. Gothard? He is, he is a godly man. He would never do such a thing. He would never. This is the devil trying to bring him down with lies and vicious slander. And how could you be a tool of Satan to perpetuate these lies into the world? Mr. Gothard would never do that. that sounds right. A couple years later, all the allegations came right. out. And I think I just just for everybody else to know, like Amanda was in the military and we will go places and she will just be like, that person sitting over there is military and, you know, not ex-military. Like they don't have the shaved head and, and you know, shaved face like she can just you pick them out. Duty. Yeah, like not active duty. Like she can yeah. pick them out and, and she can even pick out what rank they were and she will go <laughs> talk to them and be like. You were Air Force, right? And they'd be like, yep. And she was like, Colonel? Yep. <laughs> like, she can pin down somebody to their branch and their rank, whether and especially whether they were enlisted or officer. So when she says she can, like, spot people, like, I've seen it in action. She can definitely pick these things out and just, like, read someone from across the room. So... Fear me. (laughs) Man. Bill once asked me when I was going to start working at headquarters. How was that? Terrifying. I bet. I got bad vibes off him from the time I was a little girl. Yeah. I never trusted the dude. Well, we'll get to it, I'm sure, in your story. But you were not... Uh You were shifty about this whole thing from a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the rest is is history, and it's documented. Two thousand and four, Bill resigned after thirty four women women came forward with allegations of harassment and assault, including minor victims. I mean, that's a about. a massive number. That's even, a lot. Even statistically, you say ninety percent of those are accurate. That's still a massive number, and so uh-huh. you know, and it's it's more than ninety percent. But yeah, yeah, and in so and then in. 2016, the lawsuit against Bill and IBLP formally started. They were sued by a group of victims. And then in 2018, that's when the lawsuit was dismissed due to exceeding the statute of limitations. And did this, and you may not have this answer yet, but like, did that have any impact on the credibility or the popularity of the cult? I think, yes. I think they started losing donations and, and stuff like that. Um, 
But IVLP, it was built on lies and on abuse. And I've had to wonder as an adult learning all of this stuff, was the Institute ever there to help people or was it just a way to commit harm? I I mean, from my perspective, I think he is just a bad dude. And the, the whole premise of this thing was mm-hmm. just for him to have access to controlling people and mm-hmm. probably just sexual acts with, mm-hmm. you know, with women. He's, He's not married, right? Never was. Never was. And so, like, for... And he's, what, how old now? 80s or something? 90? Like, so this dude's lived his entire life without ever being married. You have to think that his whole agenda in life was just to get access to women through through the cult instead of through his personal, his actual and personal life. The crazy life. thing is why was he so attracted to and interested in teenagers instead yeah. of women, his own age, if he wanted sex, if he wanted a sexual partner, mm-hmm. I'm sure he could have had one. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah, he could have found some age appropriate. I know woman. of women who wanted to marry him. I'm sure. Like I met them. Yeah. They were single and they wanted to marry him and, and serve in ministry with him. But he went for the 15, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old children. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know. Like, I'm, y'all, I'm still processing this. This has been a lot for me to take in just finding out that, like I said at the beginning, this started 17 years before I was born. Bill was already doing this stuff. And it's just cycle after cycle after cycle. There's a timeline from recovering grace that's horrifying to read because it starts with okay his first victim was 18 in 1970 and then as you read through it his future victims are like not even born yet they're not even born yet and the timeline puts in when they were born and when they Mm -hmm. got picked by bill and brought to the brought to headquarters to work for him and there's another chart that just shows his abuse cycle and and how systematic he was you know procure the target invite her to headquarters idealize and problematize the target so idealize her and that you're so special you're you're here you're my gem mm-hmm. one of them is gem but then problematize them to everyone else oh she's an encouragement case and you know isolator which yeah next up isolate the target He was very effective at that. And then transgress boundaries of employer and employee, counselor, counselee, minister, congregant, landlord, resident, teacher, student, and um, relationships with the target. And then deal with internal or external objections to the nature of relationship with the target. And then rewrite history after dismissing her or sending her to Steve or sending her home or her just finding a way to leave finally. Yeah, I think it's... I wish we were on video or had some way to show you this, but looking at the the printout that Amanda has right now and the document that Recovering Grace put together, it's literally his pattern from beginning to end. And then they have a checkbox next each to victim. each victim and which pattern he used, you know, if that step applied to them to or were, were used on them. And... It looks very consistent all mm-hmm. the way through for mm-hmm. 
the victims that are listed in this document, um, you know, there's some deviations or some, you know, some things that Every he didn't do. Every once in a while, he'll yeah. skip a step with one victim. Right. But for the most part, it's the same thing for every person. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's, they corroborated that story and put together the, yeah. the similarities there. But it's. Like I said, they, if you've read one testimony. Yeah. You've read them all. It's just interesting to see, like they down put to a, the way he did. Footsie. They put a lot of work into that report mm-hmm. and and putting a case together there because you know that's not just. It's a group of lawyers, yeah. so they're very thorough. It's it's very high quality work and reporting on their investigation, and I. I honestly don't even know what to do with all of this yet. I'm still processing it. Like, I don't like Bill. I haven't liked Bill since I was a kid. I haven't liked IBLP since I was a kid. But still knowing that I grew up under this man's thumb Mm -hmm. while he was harming people in such heinous ways. Mm -hmm. And and I I think I think we're gonna have to get into how that culture impacted my life. Yeah. And the sexual assault I experienced and how it was handled. Because that was a culture of harm people, cover it up. Harm them again, cover it up again. Repeat the cycle. Yeah. And, and I know we're going to get to your story at a later date. But, like, you grew up in that from the time you were born mm-hmm. until how old? We stopped being able to afford being part of the cult formally when I was 12 or 13, I think, but we remained loyal. Well, we, my parents and my siblings remained loyal to Bill, I think to this day. But when, what, at what point did you like call bullshit on it? In college. So I think it's important that even. Well, like publicly I called bullshit on it in well, college. Right, As a kid, I was calling bullshit just, on it to myself. I, I guess the point I was trying to make is that, even you, you as somebody who smelled the bullshit for most of your life, mm-hmm. you were still a part of that for 20-ish years. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine what it's like for someone who can't f- figure that out or mm-hmm. doesn't, can't smell the bullshit in there. Yeah. Like how deep they have to be in that, yeah. into that ideology and, and just how harmful it is. So I've experienced basically every type of abuse category that there is. Growing up, it was verbal. It was physical. It was emotional. It was sexual. It was spiritual. And I found in my journey to healing from all of that, the easiest one to recover from. And when I say easy, take that you know with a grain of salt. I'm saying yeah. easiest of all of them was physical. When someone stops I've, beating yeah. you. I've heard that from yeah. know, other scientific journals mm-hmm. and, and stuff. Like, it's you would think, I guess if you weren't educated in it, you would think, like, physical abuse would be a really hard one to get over. But in actuality, like, it's that's actually straightforward. the easiest to get mm-hmm. over. It's very straightforward. I would say the next hardest categories would be verbal, emotional. Still very messy. Still very mm-hmm. bad. The next level of severity for me, I would say, is sexual assault. And honestly, the the form of abuse I am still working through as a 35-year-old is the spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. Because everything I was taught, my 
brainwashing growing up, even though I didn't like it. What I what I run home to, what I default to, is stupid cult shit, stupid cult ideology. And then my second thought has to be, nope, we don't do that anymore. What do we actually believe? And what Bill did that was so harmful was he used spiritual abuse to create an environment for sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. So he he took the two worst ones mm-hmm. and he mashed them up together and the poor women who were his victims, I can only imagine what their healing journey must be like, trying to untangle the sexual assault from the spiritual assault and then heal both of them. Well, you, I mean, I don't think we've talked really about actual physical assault, but he was doing the three worst ones, like emotional, spiritual, and sexual abuse, or I guess in order, emotional, sexual, Mm -hmm. spiritual abuse, and he was doing the worst one the most, Mm -hmm. you know, followed by... spiritual abuse, yeah. Yeah, followed by some sexual abuse, followed by some... Emotional, emotional abuse. Because he, he did the same thing Bill did. Or he did the same thing. Bill did the same thing Steve did that we talked about in the last episode where he used, you know, the chain of command and the umbrella of authority to control his victims mm-hmm. and and force them to conform to whatever he wanted them to do because it was God who wanted them to do it then. Not just Bill. It was God through Bill. And the man is... A lot of words I'm trying not to say to keep <laughs> the explicit language to a minimum, but it's, yeah, I'm, I guess this podcast is kind of forcing me to confront some of the stuff that I haven't yeah. put a lot of thought into Well, you've in a while, at least. Well, I think as we, we wrap this one up, like, I think... I know how hard it is for you to talk about this stuff. And I know that the journey you've been on through all of this is, is difficult and it's got to be tremendously hard and hurtful to even reminisce on these things and, and kind of hear and do research on these other women's stories of very similar paths and paths in life. Um, so like thanks for going there and I hope everybody understands how how hard that is for her to work through this and she's done an enormous amount of of work to even be able to get to the point where she can talk about this stuff. So this is harder than talking about my story, but I'm used to my story. I've been sharing my story for 17 years. I think what's so hard is the empathy that comes up for these women times 34. Yeah. And I thank you for what you said first, but secondly, like I am to my core a truth teller. So this is the truth about the Institute and basic life principles and Bill Gothard. So it needs to be told and it needs to be told on many platforms loudly, often, until everyone who was raised how I was raised is free from that man's harm. Yeah. So I'll talk about this every day of the week if we have to until people know that 
it's what Bill Gothard stands for, what he preaches is wrong and harmful. And this is who he really is. All right. Well, again, maybe next time we start getting into my story then. Yeah. I think we're, we're probably there. Yeah. I think that was a pretty good synopsis of his reign of terror. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's, a ton more to that. And we can revisit that. As- yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll get into more specific cases eventually in other episodes, but I think that was a pretty good recap of mm-hmm. of kind of his patterns, his mm-hmm. his tastes in women or girls, um, the cycle of abuse that he put them through, the mm-hmm. grooming he put them through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also on top of that, like the the cult of men that he yeah. got to follow him and believe the same thing he did and treat women the same way that he did mm-hmm. to perpetuate his lifestyle, I mm-hmm. guess is the best way to put it. And then it. what that did to the women yeah, and the harm some of the women perpetrated from their own position of, of being crushed mm-hmm. and something else I'll throw out there is we've gotten some questions and I think eventually we'll do an episode where we answer a bunch of listener questions. So if you have questions, get in touch, let us know. And also leave us a review and a rating on the platform you like to listen to podcasts through. It it definitely helps us. And that will help us get the word out and, and, and elevate the platform so that we can hopefully reach more people who were impacted by Bill Gothard's harm. Yep. And I, I'm personally kind of excited to, because I'm asking you questions. I have a little bit of background into your background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm sure my, my questions are a little biased. So I'm, I'm, I'm itching at hearing some other people's questions mm-hmm. and then doing an episode where I just ask you all of, the all, all of their questions because I'm <laughs> sure they really have a fun. different perspective than I yeah, do. That'd be um, fun. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to doing one of those in the future. So yeah, I think you can leave comments on the podcast. So if if you're not like friends with us on social media, that's a good way to try to get your question in. And I think Kyle's working on a website or social media or something else. So mm. we'll we'll announce when that's ready to go. Yep. I'll, I'll get something stood up so you guys can reach out to us and ask your questions, and we'll go from there. I hope everyone's okay after that. Find your emotional support person or animal, finish your drink, and just, yeah, maybe take a moment to send some good thoughts or prayers toward the people Bill harmed. All right, well, I think that's it for this episode, and we'll keep you guys updated, and we'll be releasing episodes every Monday, even when we're sick, so... (laughs) Um, look out for new episodes every Monday. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Cult I Left Behind. Until next time, don't join a cult. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe, and we will catch you on the next episode.